Thank you for joining us today for the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I'm here with a uh, text-driven Tuesday coming at you with George Mays. George, if there was any question of our dedication to this podcast, mm. we're putting that to rest right now. Because it's Labor Day. Yeah. And we're recording this for the people for Tuesday. <laughs> so when they have to go back to their work and they're <clears throat> sad about it because the weekend's over, mm-hmm. they'll have a little text-driven Tuesday on their drive. Yeah. Yep. I was going to be here anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you were coming up anyway, huh? <laughs> you were saying, forget Labor Day. Uh, well, I mean, that's one of the things about about preaching is they don't move Sunday. I guess I've got the same amount of time as yeah as usual. If I if I take a, a holiday off, that's I don't know if it's helping me. That means no Friday off for you. That's because that's your Friday. I haven't Fridays been, are I, your days, huh? I I haven't been. I don't always come up here on Fridays, but I've been working on Fridays. Okay, from the house. Yeah. yeah. the The last several sermons, I've been working into. I've been working on Saturdays, <laughs> trying to get things just like I, I want them to be, so. Yeah, I always, no matter what, no matter what, Saturday night, it's usually late because I'm a late person, probably about 11. I'll go through my sermon again. Mm. So, yep. Can't can't just let it s- sit there for a whole day Saturday. Yeah. Just doesn't seem right. So, then Sunday, get up, get ready, uh, get up real early and, Go through it again, kind of pray as I go through it. Try so, to. so I've I've started typing up my notes. That's a new change. That's for a you. change for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I blame it on the conference that I preached at Josh King's church back in April. <laughs> it started getting me because there was no way I was handwriting four sermons right. for that conference. So I typed those up, and I recognized that I I was able to. Um, hop around a lot more uh-huh. when a thought hit me. I didn't have to like, I didn't have like five or six pages of handwritten notes that I was trying to yeah. go between because <clears throat> you can edit it, you know, yeah. uh, you can go in and, and type things up. And uh, so I'm, I'm finding that I'm able to organize my thoughts better. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the new problem is overthinking it. Yeah. And now it's it's so easy to edit that I have to stop myself from editing it to right. to death. Yeah. The other kind of, um, there's pros and cons to writing or typing. If you can write it, I th- it somehow ingrains it in your memory a little mm-hmm. better. Um, but then you run into problems like me. I can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> so I'll scratch some stuff out be like, oh, right. this is a, this is a good thought. And then I'm like, I don't know what I wrote here. Yeah. I'm still it. I'm still writing out preliminary notes. Uh, I've got I've got the ones that I did for uh, for Sunday, right here. There you go. So I write out I write out the actual passage and jot you know any lang- you know uh, word studies, uh-huh. uh, initial outlines, all of that. I write that. I think I've got. That was my initial outline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but Your next I've, step. But I've started. <laughs> is to start writing that stuff out on your iPad. Huh? I that just, fancy iPad you got. Do you not <laughs> Do you not remember a couple of weeks ago when I, could, <laughs> I couldn't even pull up a YouTube video? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, <clears throat> I'll probably I'll probably stick to Word documents. George, it's true. It's the, the saying is false that old dogs can't learn new tricks. That's not true. I know that from my hunting dog. What about stupid dogs? <laughs> <laughs> can, st- can stupid dogs learn new tricks? <laughs> I don't think you qualify for that, my friend. <laughs> don't think so. So, well, we're here for Text Driven Tuesday. We're back in Hebrews. So, if you want to grab your Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to interview George on a sermon. That's what we do on Text Driven Tuesday. If you're new to this, uh, we take the sermon that was preached, and uh, whoever preached it kind of gets interviewed by the other uh, host of this podcast. And, you know, the goal is to go into maybe a little more application if we can, but also to give people insight on how to study the Bible. And maybe if you're a preacher, or wanting to learn to preach, you can get insights too on how uh, to prepare, prepare sermons and how the text should be driving the sermon and all of that. And you'll have a good example of that today if you follow along. George, we're in in Hebrews chapter twelve, verses twelve through seventeen, and this is the fifth war- fifth and final warning passage mm-hmm. in the book of Hebrews. And uh, you reminded the congregation, and I'll ask you to do the same here again, what the purpose of warning passages are in Hebrews. Um, The book seems to be structured around these Mm -hmm. uh, warning passages. And so fill us in, and then then we'll have you read the text, and we'll jump right into it. Yeah, the, uh, like you said, the book is, um, it's structured around these five warning passages, so he'll He'll um, he'll give a teaching section on the person and work of Christ, mm-hmm. how Jesus is superior to some Old Testament figure or or institution, and then a warning passage. Um, pay attention to this. And then he'll give another teaching section, then another warning passage, and that that just goes through um, these five times, and then he'll end with um, he'll end with a collection of um, just kind of general application uh for how to live as a christian yeah um the uh i mean we have to remember the context the context of the book of hebrews is that these um these believers these first century believers primarily jewish probably um not exactly sure where i lean towards them being in rome but it's not uh, that's not super important um are uh, they're undergoing persecution and hostility uh, probably from uh, not only the Jews but probably also from uh, the the Gentiles and the temptation is to leave the church and to leave uh, Christianity and to go back to the old the old covenant Judaic system of the, the temple and the priests and the sacrifices <clears throat> because the, uh, the because Judaism is a legal recognized religion in the Roman Empire and Christianity is um, little by little becoming less associated with the synagogue right. and more its own thing and so it's going to be illegal it's not going to yeah. be an accepted religion o- by originally the in the eyes of the Romans they're like oh this is just an offshoot of Judaism mm-hmm. whatever they're good right but then after a while they're like mm, no this well, is it, not that I mean and even then, even in the book of Acts you see that the Jews are starting to to uh, throw the the Christians yeah. out of the synagogue it gets it gets final finalized after AD 70 right. um, when the the Pharisees uh, as they reconstitute kind of the Jewish government uh, in Jamnia after 
the Romans destroy Jerusalem, they actually add an imprecatory into their synagogue worship against the Christians. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of finalized then. Um, But you you see even in the book of Acts is they're they're throwing people out of the synagogue for being Christians. And Mm -hmm. so that that gap is starting to form. And it's going to be picked up by the Romans. They're going to start persecuting the Christians. But maybe primarily for, for the context of this book is um, if if they would go back to the the temple, if they'd go back to being you know just a, a practicing yeah. Jew, then a lot of the the suffering and persecution and hardships and and uh, being ostracized from the community that a lot of that would probably just go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the author of Hebrews, recognizing this temptation, is um, telling them, "Don't leave, keep going." Um, and and so he he is showing them throughout the book Jesus is better that that uh, that phrase better than is found throughout the book um, Jesus is better than the angels better than Moses Joshua um, he leads them into the promised land he's better than the high priest he's a better sacrifice he's the mediator of a new covenant um, we see at the beginning of chapter twelve uh, you know going through eleven into twelve Jesus is the he is the um, man of faith, uh, par excellence, right? He's the he is the premier man of faith. Follow him, um, and so as he's telling them that Jesus is better, interspersed in those teachings is the are these warnings to listen. That if you, I mean, we, I I think as I was looking through this, this is the final warning, and I depending on how you structure it, I, I think this is maybe the longest one. And you see elements of, I think, all the other warning passages here. I think you see some of the themes get picked up uh-huh. again. Uh, but going all the way back to chapter two, uh, we have to be more we have to be more careful uh, to pay attention to what has been spoken to us, uh, lest we drift away from it. Um, chapters three and four, uh, he draws the comparison between the the Israelites in the wilderness not entering the promised land and the Christian these professing Christians not entering into the better promised land. We have to be careful lest there be an evil, unbelieving heart that that causes you to fall away from from God. Um, chapter six, there's uh, you know we have to move on from these elementary things because if we don't, we're proving that we're not actually Christians and there's there's no repentance. For those who have experienced all these new covenant blessings and then have fallen away, uh, chapter ten: If we keep on sinning deliberately, there there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And the the sin in that context is the sin of apostasy. If we go back to the the animal sacrifices after coming to know that Jesus is the the fulfillment of those sacrifices, then there's no there is no forgiveness because he is the sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins and. And so uh, just building on each other, and then we, we find uh, this last one here. Uh, there's some, there's some uh, debate over the exact parameters of this warning passage. Some just see it in verses 25 through 29 at the end of the chapter. I, I see it beginning in verse 12. Um, so that, that's how we're going to be presenting it uh, on Sundays is uh, from 12 to 29. So we'll take three weeks to go through it since it's so long. Yeah, good. All right, Jamnia, but the, but the, Jamnia, huh? Give a little background. Jamnia, yeah, yeah. If I'm pronouncing that right, well, <laughs> that's pro- I was probably thinking, not. Probably not. That could be it. a super cool name for like a uh, music festival. Oh yeah, 
Jamnia. Jamnia. I, I mean, I think it works. The Jamnia jam. Oh, yeah. Um, so the warning passages, uh, it's easy for people, and, and uh, I mean, you, you come across it even the, in the commentator, uh, you know, commentaries that you look at. How do we, how do we understand these warning passages? Well, that's what I was going to ask you, because right. many people would see it as evidence that Arminianism is true. Right, you can actually lose your salvation. Right. Um, there's the uh, kind of hypothetical view. Well, he's writing it, but he's he's not actually talking about real Christians. Mm. Um, the the people he's talking about are actually not Christians. Well, what's the reformed historical view? Of the historical passages? reform view has been that these are real warnings given to real Christians. Okay. That, um, so. It's easy for us to, um, we have to hold the whole Bible together, right? I mean, it's easy to take one doctrine and then just kind of make it um, excuse other doctrines. And we have to hold the whole Bible together. What does the whole Bible say? So the reform view is that of the perseverance of the saints, that those who are in Christ will never fall away. Um, they will be saved. God has chosen a people. Christ has died for those people. The Spirit brings those people to faith. No one can snatch them out of, out of Christ's hand. Um, and so we come to these warning passages, and we see things like it's impossible for these people to be restored again once they've fallen away. And we say, well, since no Christian can fall away, and this warning says that um, it's possible to fall away, um, that must not be talking about a real Christian, must not be talking about me. Mm. Um, but I would suggest that um, the author of Hebrews is, uh, he's not distinguishing between uh, true Christians and those who are just merely professing Christians. He's writing to the church as a whole, and he's warning them against falling away. And so what uh, what we should um, interpret these warning passages as, uh, and I've used the, I mean, it's, they're kind of worn out now. I've used them so much. The the sign at the, uh, the edge of the Grand Canyon that says there's a drop off here. Yeah. <laughs> if you, if you, if you go past the sign, you're gonna you're you're in danger of falling to your death. Well, what does the what does the wise person do? Ignore the sign. <laughs> ah, that doesn't apply to me. Right. Or see how far they can get. Well, let's see if this actually holds up. The wise person says, "All right, <laughs> there's a drop off. <laughs> there's a cliff." This sign is telling me how far I can go, and and if I go past it, I'm gonna I'm I may die, <laughs> so I'm not going to go past this this barrier. Uh, same with uh, warning labels on you know bottles of bleach. If you drink this, you'll die. Um, the warning passage is given to Christians so that they will heed the warning. The danger of falling away is real. God, in his grace, has given us warning passages, and the believer will read the warning passage, believe the warning passage, and then obey the warning passage. Mm -hmm. So God, God has given us means to accomplish his purposes. And we, I mean, there's, there's multiple examples of, of this in the scriptures. 
I mean, I, I just mentioned God has chosen a people. Christ has died for those people. The Spirit will bring those people. All of them will come to faith in Christ, but we still are given the responsibility to preach, and they still have to hear the, the gospel and, and respond to the gospel. God uses the means of the preaching of the gospel to accomplish his purposes. Right. Um, God's will will be done. Mm. Jesus still instructs his disciples, pray, your will be done, right? Um, we, we know that no believer will fall away. God um, has told us to persevere, and he's given us the warning passages as a means by which we will do that. So we're, we, uh, we, we, uh, we are saved fully and finally. No Christian will fall away from the faith. We all will be saved in the end. But God uses the means of the warning passages to accomplish that purpose. Yes, good. Um, and this, this is not some novel idea. I mean, you, you look at the old Reformed writers, and this is how they're interpreting the warning passages. Um, I, I quoted from Spurgeon and from Charles Hodge, um, but there are many others who interpret the warning passages in the same way. This is just kind of the standard reform view of of the warning passages um now the uh, now the presbyterians they have a little they they tweak it a little bit because their idea of the covenant community is is different than ours right um so they they view it as covenant members who are not actually regenerate right um but we're baptists so we we don't, we, don't have to, we don't have to we spend, don't we don't have to spend time on the mixed yeah, right. the mixed nature of the covenant community but if so so read it as a christian read this warning passage and it says that if you if you um you don't pursue holiness you won't see the lord what will a christian do will a christian be like yeah that doesn't apply to me or will the christian say i need to pursue holiness right cuz i want to see the lord um that's so you, what that's what the Christian will do. The Christian will actually be obedient, and we'll we'll get into that. That the, yeah. the the very nature of being a Christian is to be obedient. Yeah. <laughs> and so, if you're if well, you're actually a Christian, you're going to obey these warning passages. You're not going to be bucking against them, as if well, I can live however I want <laughs> because you know I I will be saved. Um, that's a that's a faulty view. And and those who who actually don't listen and who do fall away, um, they do prove that they're not Christians. Mm. They they prove that they're not regenerate. Right. But the but they the warning out, passages they went out from us because they were not never right. of us. Um, but the warning passages are real warnings. They're yeah, not, they're, it's not hypothetical. It's, it's not saying that if a Christian does leave the faith, like deliberately says, "I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. I'm going to go follow whatever Islam or what you know whatever. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna not go." Um, then the danger is real. Right. <laughs> so if you're a Christian, listen to the warning. Yeah. Listen to it. Yeah. But we we can couple it with the promises. Yeah. And know that we're not we're not keeping ourselves. God is keeping us. Right. And so there there's there is still that encouragement and that comfort and that hope. We won't fall away. But the warning passages are the means by which God accomplishes that. Uh -huh. You look at the book of Jude. Jude is a great example. The, the beginning of Jude, um, he begins by, by addressing Christians as those who are kept for Jesus. 
at the end of the book, he gives this doxology now to him who is able to keep you from falling. And then in the middle of the book, he, he warns them in the midst of false teaching, keep yourself in the love of God. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not either or. The, uh, the emphasis is on God keeping you, but that doesn't mean that you don't, um, you don't have some kind of responsibility, that you don't have to have some kind of action. And that's what this warning reminds us of, is that we have to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, we could go through a bunch of passages to, to show that it's both sides, divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Philippians chapter 2 is a, another good example. Right, right. right. All right, well, let's, uh, you got... Th- Today, if you know if you're going to take notes, you're going to follow along the structure of the sermon. There are three three warnings that are given. So three warnings and the manner to respond to them. Uh, and the first one that you have is discouragement is crippling. Take action to prevent it. Before we jump into that, let's have you read the passage. I'll throw it up on the screen, and you can read it for us. All right, um, Hebrews chapter twelve, uh, beginning in verse twelve and going through verse seventeen. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single mill. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. All right. So the first warning that we have uh, begins there in verse 12, is that discouragement is crippling. Take action to prevent it. Okay, so here we have in this passage drooping hands, weak knees, and we need to make straight paths for our feet, whatever is lame, kind of hunched over. We need to make sure it doesn't get put out of joint, but rather it's healed. Mm -hmm. All right. So talk to us about how discouragement is a danger and a pathway to apostasy. Right. Um, So remember the, the context of running the race... Um, he's talked to us about how we're supposed to endure hardship as discipline. He's still using the same, the same imagery of running the race. So, um, they're in, they're, they're suffering. They are uh, experiencing all manner of, of hardships. And it would be really easy for them to become frustrated and discouraged over the, the difficulties that they're facing. I mean, we we um, we can be kind of uh, naive about this. I mean, if we've lived a, a relatively comfortable Christian life, mm-hmm. it can be really easy not to not to think about what would it be like to lose a friend, a, a longtime best friend, because now I'm a Christian and she's a homosexual. And she gives you the ultimatum. It's me or your religion. Right. Which is a real scenario. Which is real. That's, we've seen, uh-huh. we've seen play out. Right. Um, or losing, you know, family members don't want you around anymore because they don't want to hear about Christianity. Uh-huh. 
um, or you know, I mean, any any number of of difficulties. That's what these these Christians are enduring. I mean, they're they're being cast out of the synagogue, which is essentially being cast out of the Jewish community. Like your family is going to disown you. Um, any kind of commerce that you would do in the Jewish community is is now cut off. Uh, friends, uh, e- even your I mean your your whole heritage is is kind of blocked off to you now. Um, and it can be really easy to be discouraged. And in the midst of that, to start thinking, well, maybe it's not that big a deal to go to this gay wedding. Or maybe it's not that big a deal to just not talk about my faith, Mm. you know. Right. And it, it, it cracks the door open. Like, here's a little bit of compromise. Maybe maybe it's not that big a deal. Maybe I can, you know, just a, I mean, it's just a pinch of incense to the bust of Caesar, Jay. I mean, right. how big a deal could it possibly be? Right. <laughs> right? And, and so discouragement and, and the, you know, the hardships that go along with, with just being cut off from, from family and friends and community and, and, uh, you know, just creaturely comforts can can lead to apostasy if we're not careful. Yeah. So it, the church has kind of a responsibility then to be on the watch, the lookout. So yeah. who in the church is really discouraged mm-hmm. right now? Even it may not even be from outside. There are people that simply suffer from sad, like extreme sadness, and it's just a struggle. Some, I mean, they just feel like. I'm following Christ, but I just feel like he's always so distant from me. Like it is always an uphill battle to read my Bible and to pray. And so why do it? Like it's always so hard. Why do it? And that kind of discouragement just cracks the door open to compromise after compromise after compromise. And eventually you may wake up one day and realize, I just don't believe this stuff anymore. Um, and like you said, so the church needs to be aware that um, discouragement is a it's it's a real it's a real danger mm-hmm. um, if we if we let it go right. if we don't care for each other. Yeah. And so the the imagery that's here is um, of drooping hands and and uh, weak knees. The the word weak is uh, translated elsewhere as paralyzed. Um, uh, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint. Um, and this is the picture of like a runner who has <coughs> know, sp- sprained something or torn something and, uh-huh. and they, they can't finish the race. Um, it's uh, the, or, or they're just losing their, they're just losing their fire to, to compete. Um, that 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 same danger can happen for the Christian. You just lose the, you just lose that that fire. You lose that that passion to to run. Mm-hmm. And so, we have to do something about it. That that's the point of, of verses twelve and thirteen. That you you can't just be lazy. You can't just be a you know couch potato. You've you've got to do something. Mm. Yeah. Um, the the ESV. <laughs> Jay, I'm just gonna. This is a podcast. I'm just going to express my frustration again at ESV. I don't know why 
they translate the way that they translate sometimes. Maybe they're trying to fit it with the the uh, the Old Testament reference, and we can we can look at that in a minute to kind of understand what's going on here. But there's only one verb um, here. It, it's it's not lift and strengthen. The ESV has two verbs, but it, it's only one verb in in the Greek. So it and it seems like every translation I looked at translated one verb except for the esv <laughs> so strengthen strengthen your drooping hands and your weak knees mm-hmm. um it's a word that means to set up straight um to to you know pick up something and stand it back up uh james uses it in acts 15 to talk about uh, the fallen booth of david that's being picked up so it's the same word um being being straightened back up um Jesus heals a woman who's bent over. She's oppressed by a demon, and uh, she, he heals her, and she straightens up. It's the, that's the same word. It's like a splint. Yeah, yeah. Cool. It's like, what do you need to do? Straighten out this bent, this bent leg. Yeah. Um, so you can keep running. That's what you're supposed to do. And make straight paths for your feet. It's, um, you don't want to run a race. I use the... Took a little shot at the streets of Lawton because <laughs> right, there's right. you don't want to run yeah. in those <laughs> in, in these streets. I had one member come up to me afterwards and she uh, said that they had a they they had a I don't know if it was a marathon uh, and they were like having to fill in all the potholes in order to do it because you I mean you don't want someone to just snap their ankle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So make make straight paths for your feet. It's active. You got to do something to go out and and heal that which is um, out of joint. You have to heal the things that are crooked so that you can keep running the race. And all of this is an Old Testament reference in Isaiah 35. And the context of it is God is promising a return from exile. So they're in Babylon. God's going to bring them back. But there are people who are discouraged. Um, they are um, maybe afraid. Maybe they don't believe. Maybe they don't believe that this is going to happen. They're they're in Babylon and they're they're not sure that uh, God's actually going to keep His promises. And so the the uh, the command is to lift or strengthen their drooping hands and their weak knees, and encourage those who are afraid, yeah. so that they can. I mean, it's the it's the Old Testament equivalent to what he's been saying here: run the race of faith, believe the word of God. He's going to do this, so be encouraged. And then there's all these uh, these massive new covenant promises that are given. Um, that there's going to be this highway that's going to lead them to Zion, which is where Hebrews chapter twelve is going to go yeah. uh, next week. Yeah. So he's he, that's kind of the background is Isaiah thirty five, and it's all about don't be discouraged. Um, hope in the promises of God so that you can run the race. And uh, so we're, we're supposed to do this. We're, we're called to do this for each other. We're, we're, not gonna, we're not going to necessarily be able to um, strengthen our weak knees on our own. Right. We need each other. Um, it, even the, the, this word weak, it's, it's translated paralyzed in Luke 5, and it's the paralyzed man and his four friends who tear the hole in the in the ceiling and and lower him down so he can get to Jesus. He couldn't do it on his own. 
was he was not going to get to Jesus on his own. Right. Yeah. And can you imagine the discouragement? I hear about this man who can who could heal me if I could just get to him, but I have no way to get to him. Right. Um, he's got his four friends who take him to Jesus. Mm. Uh, if there's someone who we know who is discouraged in the church, then we should take the effort to to get them to Jesus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All all the more important to be a part of the church. When you read passages like this, I don't see how you can see it any other way. Like you need to have other believers. All these all these imperatives are in the uh, second person plural. Yeah, y'all, mm-hmm. <laughs> y'all need to strengthen your your drooping hands and weak knees and make straight paths. Right. Um, yeah, and it's it's not just being on the on the roll; it's being in the building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's being in the room. There, there's just no substitute to being around other Christians. Right. Yep. If you're if you're discouraged, but you always just stay away from other believers and stay at home, well, you're not going to get the same encouragement. You know, we, I'm sure you've heard it so many times. People that are really discouraged that when they come and they're around the church family, mm-hmm. it always helps them. It always kind of yeah alleviates some of that discouragement, gives them a boost, and helps them out. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Most people know this; they recognize it. Yeah, we're not, we're not running a race by yeah. ourselves. Mm-hmm. We we have this. Uh, we have this. This. Uh, I I think this is kind of the the modern evangelical um, view. I think this is why churches often um, dim the lights because of this view. They dim the lights. It's just you and Jesus, right? And you, it's dark. You can't see like who's around. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that's not that's not the that's not the New Testament view of of the church. We're in it together. Mm. We are we are assembling together. Philip reminds us all the time that we're supposed to be singing songs to each other. Like part of the worship service is not just me and Jesus, though that's an aspect of it. Like I'm individually in a relationship with Jesus, but at the same time, I'm singing these songs to encourage and remind people around me of the truths of the gospel. Yeah, um, and uh, there are people who need that, but even even outside the church, I mean, I mean, that's kind of tongue in cheek, but like you don't need the elders' permission to get together <laughs> throughout the week. Like you can be around each other outside of the church, mm-hmm. and you can even have Bible studies outside of the church. Like you don't need written permission to get together and study the Bible together and encourage one another. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We need we need to be uh, actively doing this, and and this is this is for all of us. Like the elders are not going to be able to to do it all. Yeah. Uh, nor does the New Testament expect the elders to do it all. I mean, the, the elders are supposed to be equipping the the church so that they can do the work of ministry. That's the word deacon, right? The work of service. There's like the church. The church unified together is uh, is doing the work of of service of ministry yeah and part of that is encouraging <clears throat> encouraging one another yeah yeah that's good all right uh so the second point then that you have is that sin affects the whole church so then we should pursue holiness against it sin affects the whole church pursue holiness against it and there is one main point driven by verse 14 mm-hmm. and then after that you have three sub points that are supporting this main point mm-hmm. so take us to the main point okay that uh, we are to strive for peace and holiness yeah 
and then we'll get into the subunits. So 14 through 16 is, is one sentence. It's, uh, it's one sentence together. Um, and so the main point is strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Um, so there's there's one um, there's one verb there that that kind of plays double duty for um, two areas. So strive for peace, strive for holiness. Um, what's uh, I think what's really interesting about this verb is strive is uh, a word that has the meaning of chasing or even um, persecuting. Uh, one commentator, one older commentator, uh, translated it as um, to chase as in a hunt. So this is something that, again, is active, and it almost has the the meaning of unrelentingly. So pursue peace and holiness unrelentingly. We have to have this attitude of... of um, this is something I'm going to chase no matter what. So the first thing is strive for peace. Um, so I guess two, I guess there's, there's um, two sides to this. The first is strive for peace with those outside the church. And then the other side would be strive for peace with those inside the church. Um, and both of those, are uh, ideas that are found throughout the New Testament. Um, so sh- striving for peace with those outside the church, um, you- you've got uh, this community of saints who are experiencing hardship and suffering and persecution, and you've got probably even them being... Um, publicly abused uh, friends and family, publicly maligning them. And uh, the, the easiest response is to um, repay hostility with hostility. And so you, you could have somebody who's, who's maligning you, insulting you. It'd be really easy for the Christian to just turn around and insult them back. Um to uh, to have bitterness um, to know, go out of the way to uh, to cause trouble for uh, for the community um, I mean we see this we see this in um, I don't know Westboro Baptist is Westboro Baptist still a thing <laughs> I don't know I've I've heard, I've heard from them in a while <laughs> um Troublemakers. I mean, going out of their way to uh, to just cause dissension. They're they are angry and bitter, and um, I would say that they're not striving for peace uh, with those on the outside at all. But uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, verse nine: "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God." Um, and if we if we think about what what that means that those who make peace are called sons of God because God Himself is a peacemaker. He um, we were at war with Him. Uh, we were at enmity with Him, 
And um, he sent Christ, who is our peace, and he he reconciled us uh, to each other. And so um, those who are peacemakers will be called sons of God. Um, Paul, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, he says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Um, now that's, that's the, uh, that's kind of the rub, I guess, is that, uh, the community, the unbelieving community might not want to live at peace with the church. Uh, they, uh, the church might, I mean, we see it in the, in the new Testament, all the, all the church is, is, uh, is a benefit for the community. They, they, uh, I mean, as we read church history in those first several centuries of, of the church, the church is nothing but good <laughs> for the community. They uh, they pray for the they pray for the peace of the empire. They pray for the uh, they pray for the emperor. They uh, give to the poor. They're adopting kids. Um, that they they're nothing but a benefit, and yet the community doesn't want to live at peace with them because it it really is a worship issue. the The church won't do the one thing that the that the empire wants them to do they, they won't worship the emperor as as divine and so the the, uh, the community doesn't want to uh, to live at peace with the church but that does not give the church an excuse to uh to pursue bitterness and uh, hostility against those outside of the community so as 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 much as it's up to us as far as it's up to us we are to pursue peace and to live peaceably with the unbelieving community. Um, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he, uh, he writes, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And then he gives kind of these, uh, these quick-fire commands. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And so we, we see just kind of this uh, this overall overarching um, attitude that the church is supposed to have for those who are outside the church. We're supposed to pursue peace. But also, um, as we are striving for peace, we also should strive for peace with those in the church. And um, that can be maybe more difficult <laughs> striving for peace with those outside the church. Um, we're supposed to live at peace. We're supposed to pursue unity with those within the church. And uh, Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Um, Paul again in Romans chapter 14 verse 19 says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing. Um, so again, the, uh, the idea for those within the church is that we're not running the race separately. We're, we're running the race together. We are, uh, no, no Christian is supposed to be like a lone ranger Christian. Um, the, the church is a community of believers and in this hostile, difficult environment, this pagan environment, we need each other. The last thing we need is for the church to be mm. split apart. Yeah. And we, we've, I mean, I've experienced this 
<laughs> multiple times of a church that is disunified. Mm. And um, it just it just takes a little bit. It just takes a little bit to to just break the the unity and the fellowship that the that the church has with one another. And um, if we're going to run the race, how, how have you seen that happen? Well, how, um, like like how like how do you see it starting? Because usually, maybe it doesn't. Sometimes it can start with something big and catastrophic, I guess. But that's usually not probably the case. It's usually just people being selfish. Like you, I mean, from what I've seen, it's usually just people wanting their own way, like never giving giving in to to someone else. Huh. <laughs> It's uh, we, we had a we had um, at the the church before we merged, we had a flood. Um, sewage backup, it's good times, <laughs> and uh, it it flooded this this side of the building, the the side that we're on. It's like the whole office area and part of the sanctuary. It ca- it started in the fellowship hall, and it uh, it came all the way to about half halfway to the sanctuary. Yeah. Um. There was a room in uh, in this hall out here that had um, choir music in it. Oh, we didn't have a choir. It, the The times that the music minister had a choir, there was like five people, so we we didn't really have a an active choir, uh, and the music was old. Mm-hmm. Um. By old, I mean like 60s or 70s, which may not seem old to some people, but when we're talking about church music, it's like super old. <laughs> it's, not, it's not music that uh, anyone's going to enjoy listening to on a Sunday morning. Um, and so as we were recovering from this flood and cleaning things up, it was suggested, let's just get rid of this stuff. Like it's it's just junk. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think that went, Jay? <laughs> there was one person that was adamant, we cannot get rid of this stuff. This is choir music. <laughs> and it wasn't the it wasn't the choir director either. It wasn't the music. It wasn't the music minister. It was just it was just uh, it was just a person in the church. Um like that's the kind of little stuff that sows seeds of disunity. Mm-hmm. Because you've got other people that are like Let's just get rid of it. And it becomes more than about the choir music. It's you don't respect me. Um, you, you don't give me what I want. Um, and you let those, those seeds of disunity just start to sprout uh. in the church. And when the, the that was unimportant. <laughs> that, was, that was very unimportant. Uh, but you let those things go, and they start to build, and, the, and then there's resentment, and then when the big things happen, then there's like an explosion. Yeah. And um, I mean, there there's a reason why people joke about churches splitting over the color of the carpet, because churches have literally split <laughs> over the color of a carpet. All right. Um, but it's not really about the color of the carpet. It really is just about getting my way. Yeah. And... Um, 
I mean, he, he, I mean, the way that we talk to each other, like we're we're in a a covenant together. We're we're covenanting together. We're we're part of a body, and a lot of Christians, I think, treat it like just a loose group of people in like a club mm-hmm. and if uh if i don't get my way i'll just go and start my own club somewhere else right <laughs> and we don't treat it like this would be like part of your body getting gangrene and having to be chopped off mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that that's that's how we should be viewing it and so if you don't if you don't think lightly about amputation maybe you should not think lightly about disunity in the church mm-hmm it's it's that serious it's that important and if we're going to run the race and persevere we have to run together we have to be unified because if we're if we're just unified over the the color of the carpet right then when the government comes in and and says you got to shut down you can't meet together you don't have the you're not you don't have a united front right yeah this is uh philippians uh chapter 1 where um uh, Paul is he's appealing to the Philippians to have the same mind, but he starts it with only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or I am absent, I hear may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, mm. with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I think that's where it's a lot of times the start, stuff like this can creep in, it's because people aren't striving side by side for the gospel. They're not really mm. striving for anything. Yeah. Kind of just in this religious routine in their life, and they forget that the church has a purpose, and the purpose is to advance the gospel in the world. And so, when that stops being the main thing, yeah. it, it enables these other things to come on. And it's, it's that it's that individualistic attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm in this so that I can go to heaven, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or you know, name whatever uh you know american evangelicalism is chasing i'm in it so that i have acceptance or comfort right. or, or or i've got peace or what whatever you know um and it's not it's not about I mean, that's that's war imagery uh-huh. that's the the imagery of the soldiers standing side by side with their shields up yeah um and if one guy's missing then it's over yeah yeah if they've cracked it mm-hmm. yeah so he t- uh he tells the the, uh, the secret to maintaining this type of uh, posture of unity of mind, and it's found in taking on the mind of Christ. And he lays that out clear, but he says explicitly clear that uh, we're to have to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Mm-hmm. So that's where it starts. Is when you when you stop thinking other people's needs in the church. Are more important than yours, yep. and you start seeing yourself and your needs as more important than others. Mm-hmm. Then, now there's a little crack, yeah. and that's where the enemy he exploits. He's been at this a long time, been breaking up a lot of churches, sowing a lot of seeds of discord. He knows all the plays, yeah. um, and we've been told, you know, we have the Bible; the Word is sufficient. So, if you're going to strive for peace with everyone, especially those in the church, then you've got to count other people's needs as more important than your own. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, but the uh, if if we so there's an, there's a another side to this verse. the The verb is playing double duty: strive for peace, 
But if if all we're doing is trying to have peace, then it's going to be a sham. It's going to be a shallow, a shallow peace. Um, if it's just kind of a, a big group hug mm. <laughs> that has no that has no meaning to it, um, that, that's not what we're pursuing. So we're striving for peace, but we're also striving for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So I, I think I think a lot of people they they view doctrine as at war with peace. Right. When this verse proves that they go hand in hand. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. They go together. You don't. You don't have to jettison truth in order to have peace. Um, you, you strive for both. Mm-hmm. Um, so strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, and that's um, that can be difficult for people. That can that that probably can be shocking for some people if they've grown up in um, a church that has put more emphasis on making a decision than actually being transformed, um, striving for holiness. And if you don't have that holiness, you won't see the Lord. That can be, um, maybe all you got to do is go on online and see the arguments that happen there because that's where someone, that's where someone just says, sounds like legalism. Right. Yeah, that's always that's yeah. always everything's legalism. Yeah, that's legalism. Right. Well, that's I mean that's literally what the text says. I mean, you can't uh, I I don't know how you I don't know how you you misinterpret what that says. Yeah. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's that's pretty self-explanatory. If you don't have holiness, you won't see the Lord. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we how do we understand this because it's easy I mean we're we're so prone to to go into one extreme or to another right how do we understand this properly and the only way that we can understand it properly is if we understand the gospel like what is the gospel you've got this holy god who demands perfection and that's be holy as I am holy. That's what that's what God tells Israel in Leviticus. Um, how holy is he? Well, we see that in Isaiah 6 when Isaiah sees him and he laments that he's coming undone because, <laughs> yeah. because God's holy and he's not. Uh, Jesus even says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's... That's a high standard, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Um, th- this is who God is. He is holy. R.C. Sproul um, make, makes it a, a big point that this is the only this is the only description given of God three times. Right. He's holy, holy, holy. Yeah. Um, I think there might be some Trinitarian stuff in there, but it's this superlative, right? He's he's not just he's not just a little bit holy, like he is the superlative. He right. is the he is the holiest. Uh-huh. Um, 
which is bad news because we're not, as Isaiah says, he's coming undone because he's, uh, he's a man of unclean lips and he dwells among a people of unclean lips. Mm. Even following any of the uh, debate over Christians using cuss words uh-uh. lately, no. Jay? Is this new, uh, a thing going on? Well, uh, you've, you've listened to the rich men north of Richmond, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he uh, has, a couple of, has a couple of dirty words in there, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he claims to be a Christian, I guess. Um, but there's a big debate over whether Christians should ever use foul language. Yeah, I, 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 that just popped into my mind as I was thinking about Isaiah. He uses like what, what, what was his? What was the one thing that he points to himself as? He's a man of unclean lips. Uh-huh. Whatever. <laughs> just chasing a rabbit there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just something that popped into my head. We've got Christians that uh, that are like taking up, taking time out of their day to argue on Twitter over whether Christians should use foul words and. You got Isaiah. He's like, I'm coming undone because <laughs> I've got unclean lips. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think he's talking about more than just using foul foul language. But yeah, it's just that's interesting times in which uh, we live. Jay. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but we're not holy. That's the point. We're not holy, and yet God demands holiness because He is holy. Um, and so God sends Jesus, His holy Son, to live a holy life. Jesus didn't live a legalistic life, but he lived a holy life, right? Um, And he lived this perfectly holy life, and then he died a death reserved for unholy men. Mm -hmm. And then in his resurrection, he he is able to bring unholy men to to God and reconcile them so that they might be made holy. Right. Um, We are set apart we're sanctified that that's the word for holy um that's actually the word here uh i think the new american standard might actually translate it strive for the sanctification without which no one will see the lord mm-hmm. um we we are progressively being made holy and one day we will be completely holy and if you don't have that holiness you won't see the lord so it's not it's not legalism. He's talking about conversion. Um, he he's talking about being changed. If if we remember that the heart of the book of Hebrews is found in chapter eight, and it's all about the new covenant. It's at the center of the book. It's about the new covenant, and the new covenant talks about how God writes His law on the hearts of His people, how they become His people. They have uh, they know Him. Um, their sins are forgiven. How can you say I'm a member of this new covenant, but I'm not pursuing holiness? Right. That's the whole, that's, that's what has happened to you. you. This is not just a decision that you've made. This is an inward change that God, the Holy Spirit has wrought in your heart. And so if you don't have the holiness, this is not, um, this is not just, um, like I've got to follow these rules. If you don't have this holiness, it goes all the way back to the root. You've never been transformed. Mm. Your your heart has never been changed, and so you won't you won't see the Lord. If you're not converted, you will not see the Lord because a converted man is necessarily a holy man. Mm. Um, and I mean that's 
and then that's from just, the, that's just the whole that's just the whole nature of the new covenant. I mean, you you cannot you cannot say that someone who's in the new covenant is going to be a person that ignores holiness. Yeah, it's a position that has been given to you, like God has graced you, but He is the one who set you apart and made you holy. Mm-hmm. So it's from that positional holiness that you've already obtained as a gift yeah. that the pursuit of holiness continually happens in the believer's yeah. life. And we we remember verse 10 last week, God disciplines his children for their good that they might share in his holiness. Right. This is the end goal. The end goal is that we would share in his holiness. So just kick back and right. live however you want. Right? Yeah. <laughs> don't go to church. Don't read your Bible. Don't pray. Don't, you know, don't worry what you're watching or listening to or where you're going. No. If this is the end goal, then pursue it. Chase after it. If if this is what's if this is what God's this is his this is what he is purpose for you. This is what's on the other side of the finish line is your you'll share in his holiness. Then while you're running the race, you need to be pursuing it. Yeah. Very good. Okay, now three sub points that come kind of come out of this and he elaborates on. The first one is that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Second, that there is no root of bitterness found among you. And then third, that no one is like Esau. Yeah. Interesting uh, choice of illustrations we have here yeah. with Esau. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. How do we do that? Um, this goes back to uh, that second warning at the end of chapter three and into chapter four with the Israelites who failed to enter into the promised land. Mm-hmm. Why? Did Which they... is mind blowing to think about. Well, honestly, God, like, <laughs> yeah. You, you, God brings them to Mount Sinai. <laughs> There's like physical manifestation of God's presence. <laughs> And Moses brings the law down to them. Which everybody sees, too. It's not like, yeah, like, they, like uh, we can just think, oh, it was just Moses. But yeah. they all were at the and base we're gonna, and we'll, of the mountain. Yeah, and they we'll, saw. We'll, 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 I mean, you, you go to, to verse 18 and 19 and 20 and 21, and, and that's what we're going to see yeah. next week. Like yeah, yeah. They're so terrified of it. <laughs> they don't want to hear God speak anymore. But they've got the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, and they're, they're being led through the wilderness and they come to the edge of the promised land. God has given them manna to eat. He's given them water to drink. He has provided for them. He has, um, he's protected them from enemies. And they come to the edge of the promised land, and they send spies in. They come back and say, there's giants in the land. And the people are like, nah. They've, <laughs> they've experienced the ten plagues and how you know God has rescued them out of, out of Egypt. And they're like, nah, God's not going to bring us in. We're going to die. Yeah, I always think I always, these stories are so interesting because we can... We we can read them. We can just like skim over these details. Like they they were in the presence of God, all of them. They all experience these things. Mm-hmm. And then there's giants, and it's not like people go, "Nah, there's not giants aren't real." They're like, "Yeah, there there's giants in there, and we don't care all that we just saw, <laughs> right? That God did. Uh-huh. We're not going in there. Mm-hmm. Very strange. Is it though?" <laughs> I mean, it is strange, but I mean, this is uh, this is human nature. Because why did they not enter into the promised land? They failed to enter because of unbelief. 
Right. They didn't believe God's word. They didn't believe that God would actually be true to his word. And this has been the problem all the way, going all the way back to Genesis chapter three. Mm -hmm. You've got Adam and Eve in the garden. They're in paradise. And the serpent says, did God really say? And they, they eat the fruit because they don't believe. Yeah. I mean, it's just a, that's just a fundamental problem of humanity is that we just don't believe God's word. And so what he's saying here when he says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, um, he's saying, see to it that there's no one who is failing to enter the promised land because they just don't believe God's promises. And this goes back to the encouragement. Yeah. Like are you, you're you're discouraged because you're not sure if God is going to keep his word. Well, if you, if that discouragement keeps building, eventually you're going to be this person that fails to obtain God's grace because mm-hmm. you you just don't believe. You just don't believe that God's going to actually do what he says he's going to do. Yeah. So see to it. That's a that was a really interesting word when I was studying it. It's it's the it's the verbal form of overseer. I ha- practice oversight. Um, and this, again, it's a plural. It's a plural verb. Uh, actually, it's a plural participle. Participle. That's why it's a subpoint. Um, it's seeing to it. It's this active, uh, ongoing activity uh, in the church. We're supposed to practice oversight. And make sure that, that you know, if you're seeing someone that's struggling, come alongside them so that they don't... Uh, See to it that they that they don't fail to obtain God's grace. Mm-hmm. That they um, God's grace is is there for for people, like it's available. Um, but if you don't believe, then you'll fail to obtain it, mm. um, and that's a, that's a real danger. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now the root of bitterness. Explain this one. This is uh, comes out. Seems, it actually, the ESV actually has the quotation it's quote, marks on it. It's in quotes. Right. So no root of bitterness, yeah. and the quotations maybe are cueing you that this is quoting something, mm-hmm. right? So where does that yeah. come from? That's not not normal language. Maybe we would use today right. about things. Right. A root of bitterness. So where does this? What does it mean? Where does it come from? Uh, it comes from Deuteronomy chapter twenty nine, um, and it's really interesting. It, you're you're not going to understand what he's talking about here unless you go to the the citation, but the citation makes it really clear what he's talking about. Um, Deuteronomy chapter twenty nine verse eighteen, um, Moses says, "Beware." That's a warning passage. Like, like Hebrews is not the only place that has warning passages. Deuteronomy has a warning passage. Um, Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. That's that's what he's he's alluding to over here in Hebrews chapter 12. So beware of this person who's like this. And then he goes on to explain what that is. Mm-hmm. One who... When he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. So this is a person who hears the words of the covenant, and there's blessings for obedience, and there's curses for disobedience. And in the stubbornness of his heart, he blesses himself, which is such an interesting phrase. He's, he's not looking for God's blessing for obedience. He's blessing himself. 
and he's essentially saying, I- "I'll be fine." Right. I can do. I I can. I mean, just pick pick one of the you know laws. I can do. I can break this law, and I'll be okay. I can have my secret household gods. Right. My yeah. little figurines that uh-huh. I keep. They're private. They're, no one knows about them anyway. But mm-hmm. me. Yeah. I keep them at home. Yeah. God's and God's it's, good it's with not, that. It's not. It's not hurting anybody, right? right? <laughs> it's not hurting anybody. No one, no one has to know about it. Um, he he blesses himself in his heart. Um, it's like he's pronouncing a blessing over his own actions, right? Right. Even though God's law curses, I mean, him, he's blessing himself. This should become, as we talk about this, should become immediately apparent. I know people, uh, if they've been a Christian for any number of years, have experienced this type of thing in churches before, or Maybe you've run into people who aren't necessarily part of a church, but they kind of create their own form of Christianity, right? Where, like, they have a, a pet sin, mm-hmm. and they're, they say, you know, I, I know the Bible says that, but in this particular case, I've prayed about it, and I'm at peace with it. Right. I know God is okay with this. You heard that? You ever heard that before, George? I wish you hadn't. I wish you hadn't used that because I the, the so it says that um, by by it by this root of bitterness many become defiled. So this doesn't just affect this person; it affects a lot of people. Well, it's it sin. It sin spreads. Yeah, you know what I the, mean? The, it's like throwing a pebble into a steel pond, and uh-huh, then the ripples, the ripples go out. Right. Um, it's uh, so I, the illustration I always use is uh, the first church that I ever served at. I was the uh, I was the music minister, and uh, a teenage girl got pregnant. And I, no joke, this was swept under the rug. I mean that they people acted like this didn't happen. It was weird. It was really weird. Um, I don't know. Maybe a, a year or two later, another teenage girl got pregnant. And no one talked about it. Like, it wasn't a big deal. These were both from members of the church. Um, and then by the time that, that Julia and I left, because uh, we were going to contend, and I say this, I, I mean, I was part of the problem. I mean, I should have, I should have been more vocal about these, these things going on also. It was more of a backroom grumbling than actually like taking a stand in front of the church, so I don't want to come off as like holier than thou. I, I was I was part of the problem. I should have I should have been more confrontational about this. Uh, but by the time we left, um, the the pastor's son actually was involved in some sexual immorality, and it it, it caused I don't know I don't know if I call it, call it a church split, but several people left the church over it because nothing was done about it. As far as I know, nothing has ever been done about it. But I was pretty good friends with the with this guy, and when I heard about it, I wrote him a, a letter pleading with him, like, "Don't do this. You know this is wrong." And what did he respond with? Probably, I've prayed about it, and God's good with it. Be my guess. That is exactly what he said. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. Uh, I know that. I know this isn't the best the best thing but i prayed about it and uh god said it's okay yeah that <laughs> that right there that's is like, more, that's, that's, like that's that's more taking god's name in vain it is than yeah. saying a cuss word uh, yeah, yeah yeah that's absolutely. that's 
far worse. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's blessing your that's blessing yourself. <laughs> that's blessing yourself and and looking at what God's word clearly says, and then saying I'll be all right, mm-hmm. and I'm blaming God for it. <laughs> Come on, yeah. Come on, don't do that. But we all do it, right? Right. Like we all we all have those um, we all have those sins that we excuse and say, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, not not according to this. Uh this root of bitterness, even in Deuteronomy, it, it says this will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. That's just saying that this is going to affect even people that uh-huh. are act- actively involved in the sin. They're right. going to be affected. It's the same thing here that this is going to defile many. Uh that that language of defile is is Old Testament purity language. Like it's going to cause people in the community of of the believers to become unclean. Mm. They're going to be defiled. So we have to watch out for this. We have to take sin seriously. I, I brought it up. We've talked about it before, so we don't have to go into detail. But I think that this is one of the problems with the once saved, always saved um, phrase. Like that, the, the idea itself is true. Once you're saved, you'll always be saved. But the, it's been so abused to mean that you can live however you want, but just remember that time that right. you said that prayer. Right. Um, like that's that's not what this is telling us. It's that that person who says a prayer and walks an aisle and maybe gets baptized and joins a church and then you never see them again, or they are sleeping with their their boyfriend, or they're you know they've got shady business dealings or whatever, um, but still thinks that they're a Christian because. I made that decision. That is the root of bitterness. That's the person who's blessing themselves um, and walking in the stubbornness of their hearts. Yeah, and it will, it will tear a church apart. Yeah, yeah. So see to it that it doesn't spring up and cause trouble. But then we have this uh, verse sixteen. Here's the third subpoint: that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Okay, so the story of Esau. Interesting story. Um, I think you did a good job of explaining really the kind of man type of man he was, that he would... Well, I mean, you've got, you've got Hebrews chapter 11 with all these people of faith. Esau is set out as like the antithesis. Uh-huh. Like he's the opposite of the person of faith. Right. Because they're looking for things that are unseen, they're they they're obeying and living a life of faith, anticipating things that they they have not obtained yet, they have not seen, and then you've got the story of Esau, and he's the exact opposite. He's all about what can I get right now? Yeah, I think a good detail that you brought out in this story, as far as the birthright goes, is that the blessing. The blessing would pass down from father to firstborn son. So, and in particular in this era, what's tightly tied to this is the covenant promise, in particular, even getting all the way to the covenant promise that the Messiah will come right. through this through this promise that God has made. Mm-hmm. And so what Esau is forfeiting is all of the covenant blessings yeah. when he says, 
I'm oh, hungry. I just need, give me the. <laughs> give me some stew. I'm dying. I'm dying I'll, here. I'll sell you the covenant promises, so yeah. I can have immediate gratification. Uh-huh. I think that's really what's behind it. Is, is, it is he's a person who indulges his appetites or his lusts. Mm-hmm. So the stew really just symbolizes the type of a lustful man he was. Yeah. And that's why he calls him sexually immoral here. You want to hear... Uh, so so, so there's a debate over whether sexually immoral and unclean should be kept together to talk about Esau or, or if they're two different descriptions. Mm. Now he's going to... In chapter 13, he's going to come back to sexual immorality. So it, we're going to hit on that particularly when we get to chapter 13. But uh, interesting, um, extra extra biblical Jewish tradition describes Esau as sexually immoral. So there's nothing in the in the Bible apart from this that would point to him being sexually immoral. He marries two Hittite women um, who make life bitter for um, Isaac and Rebecca, but it's not really described as sexually immoral. It's more of he's marrying unbelievers. Uh, he's marrying pagans, right? Uh, listen to Philo. Philo is um, was he um, about first century BC Jewish philosopher from Alexandria, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. <laughs> I didn't use this in the sermon. I I had to cut some stuff, and I thought this probably would make it on the chopping block. Uh, the hairy man, remember Esau's described as the hairy man. He's saying that that description, the hairy man is the unrestrained, lecherous, impure, and unholy man. Mm. So that's how he's, he's described. Uh, the Palestinian Targum, which is a collection of rabbinic tradition, um, says that when Esau came home exhausted from hunting, this story that he's referencing, uh, he committed five transgressions. One of them was committing adultery with a betrothed maiden. So, so extra-biblical this Jewish tradition, but was probably around when this was being written, when Hebrews was being written. Uh, so the idea that he was a sexually immoral man probably is talking about Esau. Mm. Um, well, you know, whatever we think about extra biblical Jewish tradition, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Um, the main emphasis is that Esau is worldly and that He's he's uh, he's um, unholy. This word can be translated as um, irreligious or godless. Um, the King James has profane. He's a profane man. He doesn't care about spiritual things. He just cares about physical things. Mm-hmm. And you see that whether it's whether it's him, you know, dying of hunger, <laughs> quote <Right>. unquote. <laughs> Uh, and needing a bowl of stew, even if it cost him his birthright, or indulging in immediate sexual gratification in an immoral way. Um, the the meaning is that he's all about right now. Don't be like that. Mm. And that and that really hits at the heart of what these 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 believers are being tempted to do. They they have a choice: follow Christ, live a life of faith, pursue things that are unseen in the future, or be like Esau and reject Christ, so that you 
get your friends back, your family, your job. Um, you're not getting, you know, publicly abused anymore. Mm. Uh, they're not, uh, you know, they're not um, uh, plundering your your property now. Right. Right. So really, it's the it's are you living for today or are you living for God's promises in the future? The the uh, the men and women of Hebrews chapter eleven are are people of faith. Esau is a person of today, so don't be like him. Yeah, yeah. And it can be hard. It can be hard. It it, it can be uh, really difficult to because we and we'll talk about this more next week. It it we we are uh, we're all about what we can see and hear and touch. Mm-hmm. And the book of Hebrews. Is trying to reorient you to things that are unseen and things that you can't touch right now, but they're more real. So reject reject the the sexual immoral, unholy Esau way of living, and be a person of faith. Mm-hmm. So three warnings um, and the manner to respond to them. The first was discouragement is crippling. Take action to prevent it. Second, sin affects the whole church. Pursue holiness against it. The third is apostasy is irreversible. Think seriously about it. This comes from this last this last verse about mm-hmm. Esau in verse 17. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And this could be um this could be this is one of those Greek words that could be a statement or it could be a command. And I'm 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 taking it as a command. Know this. Mm-hmm. Think about this. Okay, yeah. So Esau it's not like he just went about his business. I think there came a point, I guess where he saw the gravity of what and how stupid he was. It says he sought it with tears, but there seems to be this distinction that's made through the Bible and made explicit in the New Testament, that there there are two types of grief Mm -hmm. over sin that takes place. Right. And most people probably have seen them. If you you have kids, you've seen it. (laughs) For sure. <laughs> right. There's no doubt. No doubt yeah. at all. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you catch your kid doing something they weren't supposed to be doing. Yep. Who knows? In Evangeline's case, it probably is like drawing on the wall or something crazy. Okay. Right? You know you weren't supposed to do that. You're in trouble, crying, tears. Why? Because there's punishment. And the tears are not so much for, oh, I... I rebelled against my parents, mm-hmm. the, the, and that's a sin. I didn't honor my mother and my father, which she knows the Bible tells her to do. Mm-hmm. It's that she's getting punished. Right. Or she's embarrassed she got caught, uh-huh. things like that. Yeah. Any, everyone's seen it. You could see you see this in politicians. <laughs> they come out, they say they're sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they even cry tears, but it's really all it is is because their careers were ruined. <laughs> right. And they got caught and they got humiliated. They're not actually sorry that they were sleeping with their secretary. Right. They have no real godly sorrow. Uh-huh. That leads to repentance. And that's the warning here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got Esau. He sells his birthright. Then probably some years pass, 
Isaac is on his deathbed. He's he's old. He's blind. We know the story. Um, he wants to bless. He wants to give the blessing to Esau before he dies. Um, Jacob, with his mom's help, sweeps in and and steals the the blessing from Isaac. Now it seems like there's a connection between him selling his birthright and him losing the blessing, also. Um, and we can talk about Jacob's role in this uh, some other time. But he he uh, he loses out on the blessing, and when he realizes what's happened, he pleads with Isaac to bless him also. And Isaac says, I've already blessed your brother, and he will be blessed. And then he gives Esau like an anti-blessing. <laughs> <laughs> a curse? We call that a curse. Well, it's not... It's like a blessing diet. It's like diet. It's Coke. not. It's not a. Cur- it's not a curse. But when you read it, it's like it's not really a blessing either. <laughs> it's, it's like a faux blessing. <laughs> <laughs> just go. Just go read it, Jay. Just go it's read like, the blessing and, like see, and see. See how you would like. It's not. It's not so much a curse, but it's not. It's not really a great blessing either. <laughs> It's like a he, soy hamburger. And he weeps. He says, <laughs> right. Um, it's, uh, he weeps over it. And um, Isaac doesn't, like, he, like, his tears aren't going to change the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, uh, one Bible translation says he could not find a way to change what he had done. Now, we might feel sorry for Esau, except the next time we see him, he doesn't seem to really be bothered by it. Mm. Um, Jacob, Jacob goes off. He gets, uh, he gets his wives and sons. And we have this, this long narrative gap where it's focusing on Jacob, and he comes back, and Esau comes to meet him, and Jacob is terrified. Like, Esau is going to kill me. And so he sends all this stuff to Esau. And Esau comes and he meets with Jacob and he, he's, Jacob says, I, I, this is all stuff for you. And Esau says, no, you can keep it. I already have everything that I, that I could want. Um, he's, he hasn't changed. Like he still is all about this, this time. He's, he's still about stuff that he'll get here. He's not concerned that he's lost the Abrahamic blessings, mm. right? Um, he's still worldly. And he's, as long as he's got stuff, if Jacob had come back and Esau didn't have any, any stuff, what do you think Esau would have done? Like he, he probably would have exacted revenge, but because he has worldly, worldly possessions and worldly gain, it's all good. Um, so his, his weeping, his tears aren't an indication that he actually understands the gravity of it. Um, they're, they're just false. It's false sorrow for a perceived uh, material loss. Mm. But once he gets the material stuff, he's fine. He gets over it. And that's the difference between um, worldly sorrow, which Paul says leads to death, and godly, godly repentance that actually um, recognizes transgression against God 
and seeks to uh, to turn, to turn and change. Um, and so the the point is, don't be like Esau. He uh, he gave away the blessing, and when he wept tears, the situation couldn't be changed. If you leave Christ and go back to Judaism or decide you're going to, you know, just be a Gentile or whatever, whatever you're leaving Christ for, for material gain, um, realize that the danger is you maybe won't be able to come back. Like you won't be able to change what you've done. Mm-hmm. Even if you later on in life realize what a huge mistake you've made, you may actually not be able to repent. And that's hard. That's hard for us to like in our 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 religious culture of of decision decisionism. Like I can like I can I can make a decision for Jesus anytime I want. All right. That's not the that's not the New Testament teaching. Right, yeah, which is that repentance is a gift of God. Yeah. And so if if repentance is a gift of God, what if he re- withholds to give it to you? Right. Well, then then you can't repent. Especially and again, we're not talking about accidentally falling into some sin. We're not we're not talking about just any kind of sin. We're talking about the sin of apostasy. And this is not this is not something that you just accidentally fall into. This is these believers consciously knowing who Jesus is and saying, because following Jesus is leading to persecution, I am intentionally leaving Jesus and going back to the temple. That's what we're talking about. We're, we're again, I, I think when we're talking about these warning passages and the, and the the uh, the extreme language of it like there's no repentance there's no coming back um, it, it's important for us to remember what he's talking about like coming back from what coming about coming back from intentional apostasy like these people who are deconstructing their faith and and leaving and and you know going wherever and and I just don't believe this stuff anymore and there may not be any repentance for them like. 20 years from now, when they realize I've made a mistake, they may literally not be able to repent. Mm. They may have worldly sorrow. They may have, have grief over it because they've lost out on, on something. But it may not actually be true repentance because God grants repentance and faith. So the, the warning is extreme because the danger is extreme. Don't leave the faith because you may not be able to come back. What will a believer do? Not get anywhere not close. Leave. <laughs> yeah. Don't leave. Uh, cling to Christ. Recognize that he is better. Recognize that the life of faith is better than the life of Esau. Right. Don't leave. And if you don't leave, you're not in danger of this. Like This is not something that a Christian is going to accidentally fall into. This is something that is a warning to keep you from leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, once you cross the, the boundary and you fall off the edge of the cliff, 
in midair. You can't you can you could be crying in midair. This was a mistake. Right. <laughs> but you can't go back. You can't go back. So don't don't cross the the barrier. Don't don't get close to the edge and see how far you can get without falling because once you're falling, it's too late. Don't fall away from Christ. Cling to him. And this should remind us that we we if if it were up to us, I think John MacArthur said it's probably not original even to him. If we could lose our salvation, we would. This should give us a, a renewed dependency upon God. Mm. And it should cause us to cry out. As we read these these warnings, we should be crying out to God, keep me. Yeah. Give me repentance and faith. Re- remembering that that um everything is dependent upon God's grace. So don't turn away from it. Don't uh, don't be worldly. Don't try to to uh, don't bless yourself and try to you know trust in your own goodness or or your own ingenuity or whatever. Cling to Christ. Recognize that you need Him, and He will keep you. Yes. You, you won't be in danger of of these warnings. The warnings will actually have done what they're supposed to do. All right. Awesome. Well, um, we've got. Two more parts of this warning passage coming up, right? Uh-huh. And that will end your section. Yep. So two more, two more in Hebrews, and then we're planning some stuff out. We're thinking through some things for free for all Fridays um, that we can do. Uh, we're talking about that. We got a lot of good suggestions. So thanks to everyone who put in ideas for free for all Fridays. We'll get uh, those planned out, and then we'll if probably you ha- if you haven't seen that post on Facebook. Go to the Conform to Christ Facebook page, yeah. And um, if you have suggestions for uh, for topics you'd like us to discuss, make yeah. sure you comment on that. Drop post. it in there. Yep. All right. Well, good stuff, George. I appreciate it. It's a good discussion we had on Hebrews. Hopefully, this has helped you to understand your Bible better, uh, in particular these passages in Hebrews and the warning passages. If this has been beneficial to you, please give us a like, a subscribe. You can share with your friends. Maybe write us a review and come back next time. We'll see you next time on Conform to Christ. Have a great day. See you then.